0: Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. In John chapter 2, we get to witness the first miracle of Jesus. Certainly the first recorded miracle, and we assume that it is the first indeed. John's Gospel tells us about a wedding... At Cana. Cana of Galilee is just a few kilometers to the north of Nazareth, the hometown of Jesus. And it happened to be on a Tuesday. How do we know? Because it tells us it happened on the third day. The third day of the week, knowing that Sunday is the first day. So, in this particular miracle... It does show the glory of God. It was not expected. It wasn't even requested by the people that needed the miracle, but it happened anyway. And not only did Jesus meet a very, very deep need, Jesus at the same time was able to manifest his glory. What we're going to learn about the miracles of Christ, indeed the miracles that God performs even in the church time, in the name of Christ, is not only for the benefit of the individual, it benefits the community, it's assigned to the world, and like all miracles, true miracles that is, it brings glory to God and the extension of his kingdom. What I want to do is read to you, our portion will be from John chapter 2, verses one to 11 and our lesson will be called wedding at Canaan first verse it says and the third day there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee and the mother of Jesus was there and verse 2 both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage now this may seem obvious but in today's age of redefinition of all things it's not so obvious unless of course, we come back to biblical foundations. The fact is that marriage here in Cana of Galilee was the centerpiece of community life, that marriage was a cause for celebration, and that chances are possibly the whole village was invited to the wedding. We don't know how big Cana was. We know Nazareth was very, very small in the time of Jesus, probably no more than 300 people. Cana could have been similar, maybe a little larger, maybe not. But what we know is that it is a cause for celebration. That's first of all. The second, it is a cause for the community to be involved. And therefore, that leads to the third point, that chances are the invitation list was very, very broad. It's not like weddings in Australia and elsewhere today, where maybe... A whole bunch of people will be invited to the ceremony and then offered a biscuit and a cup of tea afterward. And then only the elect are invited to the reception. Now, part of that's understandable because weddings in Australia and in the Western world can be very pricey, especially when you say that the event you want catered is a wedding. It's a shame that doesn't make people want to get married as quickly and as fully as they should. But in the Middle East, And certainly, in the time of Jesus, it was a different story. People then were, how should I say it, inviting everyone. It's a community event. And can I also add that, in a sense, there's great wisdom here without the couple realizing it. The couple and their family, because it's the family that's having or hosting the wedding. That it's a very smart thing to invite Jesus to your marriage. Not only will he get you out of trouble in terms of whatever may go wrong, but he will be a source of inestimable blessing on the wedding ceremony itself, the reception afterward, and the marriage that is to follow. I urge you that if you are engaged to be married, do what this couple did and this family. Invite Jesus to the marriage feast. You'll be very, very glad you did. Let us read now the entire portion of our lesson in John chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. The lesson itself is called Wedding at Canaan, and the reading is from John chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. Let's listen to God's word. And the third day there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there, and both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus saith unto him, They have no wine. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. His mother saith unto the servants, Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. And there were set there six waterpots of stone, after the manner of the purifying of the juice, containing two or three firkins apiece. Jesus saith unto them, Fill the waterpots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he saith unto them, Draw out now and bear unto the governor the feast. And they bear it. When the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine, and knew not whence it was, but the servants which drew the water knew. The governor of the feast called the bridegroom, And saith unto him, Every man at the beginning doth set forth good wine, and when men have well drunk, then that which is worse. But thou hast kept the good wine until now. This beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee, and manifested forth his glory, and his disciples believed on him. Our reading is from John chapter two, verses one to eleven, and our lesson is called Wedding, at Cana. Well, first of all, as I mentioned earlier, we believe this event happened on Tuesday and it was possible that this wedding had been going on for days. Sometimes they can go for three or four days, sometimes all the way for a week. I know it seems incredible when you consider how short wedding ceremonies and receptions are today in comparison. So the third day happens to be Tuesday, and Cana of Galilee is approximately five kilometers north of Nazareth. It states that Mary, the mother of Jesus, was present. And let's bear in mind that while Mary, of course, is an important figure in the gospel narrative, she isn't actually mentioned all that often. This is one of those occasions. So verse 2, it says, the more the merrier. Apparently, Jesus and his disciples were not left out. They, too, were bidden to the wedding. It was probable that the guest list, like the wedding itself, was very, very long. And as I said earlier, it often was a community event. Probably not a sit-down supper at a trestle table with nice white linen and candles lit. But what I can tell you is everybody had enough to eat and everybody had enough to drink. Well, at least not in this case, because it tells us in John 2, verse 3. Let me read it to you. And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus saith unto him, they have no wine. This is the worst possible event, apparently, that could happen at an ancient Jewish wedding. And perhaps a Jewish wedding even today, that the wedding host runs out of wine. It is absolutely a great embarrassment for the host. And of course, it's not actually a good thing for the couple either. Because after all, that's one thing everybody's going to remember about the wedding. They're not going to worry or remember so much the lovely ceremony, the great sermon, the dress that the bride wore. If something goes terribly wrong with the feast, that's what's going to stick in their minds more than anything else even if everything else was meet to perfection so it was highly problematic Mary therefore feels duty-bound to inform her son Jesus about the problem apparently she must have felt he would have an answer and then comes verse 4 and it's a bit strange because on the surface Jesus's response to his own mother appears to be abrupt yet We believe when you take the whole of Scripture of what it teaches on Jesus, the sinless Son of God could never be violating the fifth commandment, the fifth of the ten, which basically says honor your mother and your father. So we really do need to give Jesus the benefit of the doubt on this one. Therefore, though, what's going on here? Why did he answer that way and say that his hour had not yet come? It is possible that Jesus was speaking prophetically. There would be a time when new wine would come, meaning the shed blood of Jesus for the remission of sins. Also, new wine, which is what they desperately needed at this wedding in Canaan, could represent the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, which happened shortly after the death and resurrection of Christ. Wine, as well as fire, wind, water and so on. These things are symbols of the Holy Spirit. And of course, if you want to interpret these things accurately, it's always important to view the context of the verse. So Mary certainly was not the least bit perturbed by the response of Jesus in John chapter 2, verse 4. In fact, she gives incredibly sound advice. In verse 5, she says, Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it the address by Jesus and Mary's response offers some great wisdom. The wisest thing the wedding host could do at this point of crisis in the ceremony or actually in the reception was to hear and obey Jesus's command. As Jesus herself says, whatever he says to you to do, do it. This is very sound advice and just as applicable today, 2000 years later, as it was when Mary, mother of Jesus, first uttered these words. Those who hear and do what Jesus says are wise people, and these wise people are building their house upon a rock. That, of course, is the theme of our program and indeed our ministry, helping people to survive and succeed in the days ahead by hearing and doing the words of Jesus. And that's from Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 and twenty-five. We learn in verse 6, there were six huge stone water pots. We estimate that each water pot had something like 120 liters of liquid capacity. These water pots were used for the purification rites of the Jewish people. And of course, these would be vessels for Jesus' first recorded miracle. Jesus then gives the command. Fill up the water pots to the full, or fill them with the brim. And this would be done with just ordinary water. The men, heeding the advice of Mary, did precisely what he said. And actually, by putting it to the brim, they must have had faith that something good was going to happen. And they just wanted the maximum return for their investment. Then comes the second command. First command is fill up the water pots, and that's a lot of water. Mind you, they would have been very heavy, those water pots, with 100 to 120 liters each. But never mind. Where there's a will, there's a way. So the second command in John 2, verse 8, is this. Jesus asks or requires that the liquid in those pots be drawn out and taken to the governor of the feast. He's either in charge of making it happen and or he is the master of ceremonies. They obeyed Jesus, which, of course, is always a good move. And then something amazing happens, what I call the surprising result. The governor of the feast was astonished. He tastes the wine and then he can't believe what he's tasting. So what does he do? He calls for the bridegroom to come. Now the governor had no idea what he was drinking was actually a miracle. That a few moments before, the water in that pot had just been made wine. In other words, he was, a few minutes before, had the miracle not happened, it would have been normal water. Now he's drinking apparently very, very tasty wine. And then, verse 10 of John chapter 2. The governor of the feast presents a lecture to the bridegroom almost as if I'm not sure he's complaining or correcting or commending because what he's actually doing is explaining the normal protocol that happens at a wedding. And this is the protocol that normally you save the best wine for the first part of the wedding. And then afterward, you will give the lesser quality wine for those who need, or, you know, just to fill the gap. But the governor comments that the bridegroom had saved the very, very best wine for last. This is a testament of the high quality of Christ's miracle. Because what we should learn, and always bear in mind, that whatever Jesus Christ does, he does well. In fact, that's even stated in the Gospel of Mark. He has done all things well. He makes the blind to see He makes the deaf to hear. He makes the demons come out of people. He casts them out just by the command of his mouth. He also causes the dead to rise. In everything, Jesus does all things well. And that should be an incentive for us all. If our master and savior does all things well, then let us also adopt that same spirit of excellence in everything we do. And I might add, Because Jesus is known as the Messiah, the anointed one, everything he does is with anointing. He is separated, authorized, empowered, emboldened, and shall we say strengthened to do things in a supernatural and magnificent way. Well, guess what? As people called Christians, Christianos, little Christ. Everything we do should be with anointing as well. Because when you do things with anointing, you have the imprint of the supernatural upon what you do. And of course, it goes without saying that when you do things with anointing, just as Jesus, the anointed one, did all things well, you will do be doing all things well too. And doing things with that spirit of anointing and excellence brings glory to God and it brings benefit to us all. Now, our lesson has been called Wedding at Canaan. And our lesson for life is this The miracles of Christ were designed for the sake of individuals, the world, and most importantly, the glory of God.